is a Christian? Is this on? Yep. What is a Christian? Uh, how would you describe what it means to be a Christian? Uh, if you've got a pen, why don't you scribble on your bulletin your definition? Or if you haven't got a pen, why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask them what would they say to the question, what is a Christian? I'll give you a few moments just to think about it. It's to commit to this. For you to commit to what you think a Christian is. Apparently you learn things if you uh, commit to trying them yourself, apparently. So that's the, the theory behind this. Um, on Friday night, we invited some of Tom's friends uh, from school. There was an awesome collection of Nerf guns. Uh, I, I've never seen so many Nerf guns in all my life. One boy brought a Gatlin Nerf gun with a big holster that fired about 100 of these things. And, and they just ran around our house creating chaos, and they loved it. And uh, they, we invited their parents as well, so they came over, and we had a barbecue. It was great to spend time with them. And um, every year, they say, oh, you're so great at doing this. We love this. Uh, we never seem to get invited to their houses, but there we are. Um, I, I don't think they do it, actually, but they really enjoy coming. And uh, there was a new man there, a new um, father that we hadn't met, and... Uh, you know, we're chatting around the barbecue, as men do, uh, you know, cook meat, talk. And, you know, it got to that awful question where he said, so what do you do? And my heart almost sinks, really. And I don't really know what's the smartest way of saying the answer. So, you know, I just say, well, I, I pastor a church. And they go, what, what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a minister, uh, uh, you know, of a church. Ah. Oh. And you can see mentally, they just start taking a few <laughs> bodily, they start moving back, they go, ah, oh, oh. And there's a mixture of, oh, in their look, in their face, there's a mixture of both pity and fear. Because they, they don't know how to respond to that. I mean, they, you don't meet many of them, and suddenly you're in their house, and they're cooking you food. You can't go anywhere. What's going to happen? <laughs> and I don't know whether you had the experience, uh, if you, you know, were around during the Word of Life, of inviting some of your friends to some of the events of Word of Life. Um, I don't know whether, how you found that experience. Um, it's interesting. You get all sorts of reactions from people, don't you? Uh, people make excuses why they couldn't come. Um, my wife even had a situation where uh, someone saw her coming and she saw them making a beeline in the opposite direction. Just sheer avoidance. Have you had that experience? Uh, you know, we're a friendly bunch and actually there were great activities. There were great fun things. But somehow, if you're a Christian, you're just weird right now, aren't you? You're strange. We're sort of on the margins of society, and people are not quite sure what to do with us. And so it's, um, it's a great thing that we can spend um, the next, kind of, well, probably about 26 sermons or so, looking at the letter of First Peter. And I want you to open your Bibles to page 1217 
If you don't have a Bible, just grab one of these church Bibles, page 1217. And today, we're going to just look at the first two verses and see what it says about being a Christian. And I can almost guarantee that whatever you said to each other, you did not say what Peter said here. I could almost guarantee that you did not use the words that Peter uses here. So look at the surprise of what God's word has to say to us about what it means to be a Christian. Let's read it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Keep your Bibles open and let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you that you have spoken to us clearly through Jesus, and we thank you that the words have been written down. We thank you that you filled your apostles with your Holy Spirit so that what they wrote is uh, your word to us. And so would you speak to each one of us today? Help us to understand uh, our privileged status and the way that changes our identity in the world. Would you... Uh, Fill us with the comfort and encouragement uh, that this letter has and give us bold confidence to live for you in this nation of Scotland. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, let's just notice right at the beginning that here's a, a definitive guide to what is a Christian. This is a great place to go. Do you notice from the very first line, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. So who are we talking about? We're talking about one of the disciples of Jesus. We're talking about one of the inner three. Um, Wayne Greedham points out in his commentary that uh, nowhere do you get phrases like the prophet of Jesus Christ or the teacher of Jesus Christ. This phrase, the apostle of Jesus Christ, kind of highlights that the self-conscious way that these disciples, when they're writing, they know that they're writing the very words of God. Uh, Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. He was taught by Jesus post-resurrection. He saw the ascension of Jesus. He had the promise. He heard the promise of Jesus that God would send his Holy Spirit uh, upon them. And that would help them to recall everything that, uh, that um, Jesus had taught them. And so when he writes an apostle of Jesus Christ, here we have a definitive guide uh, of what a Christian is. And it is a surprising description, isn't it? Did you see the description there in verse 1? Two words, elect strangers. Did anyone write down elect strangers? Did you turn to your friend, your uh, person next to you and say, actually, a, a Christian is an elect stranger? Did anyone say that? Well, that's very surprising, isn't it? But that's exactly how Peter describes the Christians to whom he's writing to in the first century. These were people who lived in the area that we would know today as modern-day Turkey in the first century. It could be that some of these people were um, uh, Christians who were kind of sent out of Rome 
into this part of, of the world, forced out because of their faith. But many more perhaps would have been uh, grown up in those regions, heard the gospel and become Christians. And he writes them and says, this is who you are. You are elect strangers. And so when he says elect, that's in relationship to God. You are God's elect. And the word strangers is in relationship to the world. You're strangers in the world, scattered throughout these regions of uh, Asia, Bithynia, and all the, the list that you've got there. So let's just take time to think about these two words. Firstly, um, they're strangers. They're strangers. Now, Peter is probably writing to this mixture, as I say, of, of people maybe scattered out of Rome, but also people who have become Christians in this region. They, they were born there, they grew up there, and yet he says, but you are now strangers in the world. Another way of translating the word stranger would be exile or alien. And uh, when we talk about alien, we're not talking about sci-fi. If you look at the term card, you see I've gone rather crazy with the word alien because I like the whole idea. Later in the series, we're going to see about how you're married to an alien and, uh, and all sorts of things like that. But yes, he's writing to them. He's saying, look, you are elect strangers. You are chosen aliens. I don't know whether you remember the song by Sting. Uh, I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien. I'm an Englishman in New York. Have you heard that song? Um, when my family and I lived in America for seven and a half years, we eventually got a green card. And to the government, we were uh, described as permanent resident aliens. That's how they viewed us. Permanent resident aliens. And I'm guessing, Johnny and Penny, that you haven't got a Chinese passport, so you're probably permanent resident aliens in Beijing as well. That is to say... Our citizenship is in a different country, but we're residing in this place of which we are foreigners and, and strangers. And, you know, you live in America, you're, you are constantly aware that you are a stranger and a foreigner because everyone said to you, I love your accent. I haven't got an accent. You've got the accent. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're constantly aware that you stuck out, that you were, you were different. And that's the nature of being an alien. Our American friends probably feel the same way here. They don't understand half the things we say in Scotland. What? Can you say that again? I don't understand what you said. You know, you stick out as an alien. And um, Peter is addressing these Christians and says, Do you know what? That is what you now are in the world. You may be, have been born and brought up in these places. Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia. But you know, now that you're Christians, you're strangers in this world. You are aliens in this world. This is part of the experience of being a Christian. There's a sense in which we just feel like we don't quite fit in. That the, the, the values and... Uh, the things that people say and do doesn't quite fit with what we now think, what we now believe. Uh, we feel, can feel a bit like a square peg in a round hole. We, because we're now following Christ, 
this is how we feel. We feel like strangers. Even our own country, we're aliens. But the other part of this is that he says, you know, you're also elect. You're God's elect. Now, it is quite right for us to say that you choose to become a Christian. Uh, We call people to repent and believe the gospel. And so you can rightly say, well, I chose chose to become a Christian on such and such a day. Uh, That's quite right. You can say that. But here is a mysterious thing that the Bible also says that behind that choice is God's choice of us. That God is at work in us becoming Christians. And so he can address these Christians and he says, to God's elect, you who have been chosen by God. Uh, This was, of course, the phrase and the title that was used for uh, the ancient people of Israel. That because of God's calling of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, uh, they were called out from being kind of Babylonians. Uh, so Abraham was a Babylonian, I guess, from the time of Ur. And, the, uh, and, and then he, he's now called out to be God's people. And, and that was the name for the Israelites, God's people. Now, he's, Peter is now writing to these, these um, Christians who are both Jewish and Gentile. And he's saying, now you are God's elect. You are his chosen people. Now what is the relationship between um, being elect and being strangers? Well, it's quite simply this. We're strangers in this world because God has chosen us. When God chooses us and we receive Christ, that's what makes us strangers in the world. There's a fundamental change that happens to a Christian. And all the way through this letter, Peter's going to reflect on this, uh, this twofold aspect that we're elect, we're chosen, and we are aliens and strangers. Let me just show you a few places. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Or... Liam read to us earlier, chapter 2, verse 9. Just turn over the page. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So then look at verse 11. Here's one of the um, applications. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Because we are elect, chosen by God... We are therefore aliens and strangers in the world. There was a time when we would have defined ourselves as um, our identity. It's fundamentally that we were English or Welsh or Scottish. And, um, but now, our fundamental identity is not that as a Christian. It is that we are citizens of heaven. That we're actually a people now that belong to God. There's a fundamental change that we now know that actually we're designed to live for God and we're living for what is to come. And it's not ultimately about this life. We are like pilgrims. We are, we're strangers, 
following in the footsteps of Christ, walking through this life, heading towards a destination day when Jesus Christ himself will be revealed in all his glory and the kingdom of God will come in its fullness and we are walking in the footsteps of Christ, heading to that day. That that is our identity now. Now what's the challenge of being a stranger in this world? Well, turn back to chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to see this right through the letter, but let's just at 1 verse 6. Um, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Do you see a description of the Christian life there? It is a combination of both great rejoicing for all that we have in Christ, all that he's done for us, but also an experience of suffering grief in kinds of trials. There's the Christian experience. Great rejoicing, but suffering grief in trials. That's the challenge of being elect strangers. The very nature that we're living in a society that's heading in a different direction to the one that Christ would have us follow causes conflict. We're going to read to the letter uh, some of the challenges that they are facing, that they were facing in the first century, which really are the same challenges for us today. Uh, It talks about the ignorant talk of foolish people. It talks about being slandered. People not really understanding what we believe or think and just saying false things about us, malicious things about us. It talks about the the pain of um, a spouse whose partner is unbelieving and unsupportive. Uh, It talks about uh, the pain of trying to live a holy life in a world that is just, in a sense, pursuing and and promoting uh, an unholy life. Well, this is our experience today as it was of the Christians in the first century. And so this is, a, this is a letter that gives us absolute realism. This is the challenge. This is the reality. If you've begun to follow Christ, know this. There is great joy, but there's also grief in many trials. For you are both elect of God and a stranger in this world. And this creates the tension that we find in the Christian life. But I want us to see before we close here... That not only um, does, does these opening verses kind of present us with the beginning of the challenge of being a stranger in this world, it also reminds us of the comfort of being the elect of God. Do you notice that in verse 2? Have a look at verse 2. The world says, you're weird. God says, you're welcome. The world says, you're just a bit strange. I'm not sure I want to spend time with you. God says, you're loved. You're part of my family. Do you see that? There's there's three things we can look at here. Um, The first thing is that that we are chosen, verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Let's just think about the comfort of that. Now, the truth is, there is a bit of heat in this. I know this. That some, the Christians have a uh, difference of opinion about this whole idea of election and choice. And, uh, but I believe that the Bible, this is one of a number of places in the Bible, does speak of the fact that before the God created the whole world, he actually chose who he's going to save. And that this is 
God's work, that, that, that he's speaking to the elect, and that we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now notice with me, he doesn't say chosen according to the knowledge of the Father. Some people sort of view this idea of foreknowledge as, as God kind of looking, peering into the distance. He sees that we're going to choose him, and so he chooses us. Now if, if Peter wanted to say that, he could have simply said, we're chosen according to the knowledge of God the Father. But he doesn't say that, he says chosen according to the foreknowledge. Now, I don't have the time to show you all the biblical evidence for this, but the essence of foreknowledge is God's definite plan and choice. And in fact, you see it in verse 20 of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God the Father, before he created the world, chose not only that he would save people and that they would become part of his people, but he chose how they would be saved. He actually uh, agreed with, um, within the Trinity with the Son that the Son would enter into the world in human flesh as Jesus and that he would come in the place of, um, uh, of rebellious sinners. He would be the perfect sinless one and he would die in their place. That he'd pay the price for their sins. So even though because of our sin and rebellion that separates us from God, God had a plan where he decided and chose within himself that he would send his son into the world to be our savior, to deal with our sin and welcome us. And that word there in verse 20, chosen, if you had the ESV Bible, you'd see that they translate it foreknown because it's the same word. And actually, the NIV has done well in using the word chosen because that's the essence of the word foreknowledge. It's God's choice. He elects to do this. He elected to choose Christ to be our Savior, and he elected that he would save a people for his glory. Now, I think all of us wrestle with that. How does that fit with human choice? And uh, we're, we're probably going to come to some difference of opinion exactly how those two things mesh together. But the Bible's quite clear that both are true. That yes, you chose Christ, but here's a wonderful thing. God chose you. But let's think about the comfort that's in this verse. In a sense, you could get so worked up about free will and choice that you'd miss the whole point of this, which is the comfort of God's election. And here's the comfort of God's election. That you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Number one, he chose to bring you into his family. This is the amazing thing. You are now welcome in to be part of his people. And you get to call the one that Jesus called the Father, you get to call him Father because he's chosen to catch you up in his salvation and to welcome you into his family. It was all part of his plan that if you are someone who's trusting Christ today, he chose that you would be part of his family. That's a wonderful comforting 
thing, that we can call him Father. And all through this letter, you'll see that Paul appeals to them on this basis of, the, of them knowing that God is their Father, the God who loves them, the God who cares for them. And Wayne Grudem in his commentary points this out too, that this whole idea of uh, foreknowledge only makes sense when you understand it's not just simply that he is involved in choosing that we be part of his safe people, but that God actually knows all the circumstances of our life. You know, here's part of the mystery that we have in the, in the Bible. I don't know what challenges you're facing right now. I don't know what sufferings you're going through. I don't know what griefs you're bearing as a Christian. But let me tell you this for certain. The God who who uh, before the creation world decide to uh, engage in this work of salvation, he knows about your plans and your circumstances. And it's all part of his plan. He's accomplishing good things, even if we can't see it right now, for his glory and for our good in our circumstances. And Peter wants these uh, Christians who are beginning to suffer suffering and difficulty and hardship in the first century, he wants them to comfort them with this. Do you know that you are God's elect, uh, chosen according to the knowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father. He knows about your circumstances. We only share very small parts of our lives with each other. That's the value of fellowship groups. Yeah, you know, after church, we kind of, it's a bit of a chaotic noise, isn't it? And it's hard to talk. And we end up just saying, how are you doing? Fine. Well, the point of fellowship groups is you get together and you can actually say how things really are going. And we don't, you know, we've all got different challenges. We've all got different things going on in our lives. But let me tell you this for certain. God, in his sovereign love and care, knows about your circumstances. And is working in and through these circumstances. And there's great comfort in knowing that we are God's elect. That though strange in this world, God has chosen us to be part of his family. And he's working out his purposes. Look at the next part that we should comfort us in his election. He's chosen us uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now sanctifying is a big word, isn't it? Sanctification is a big word. What does it mean? Well, let me give you a simple analogy. And forgive me because I was a dentist originally. Um, I have a toothbrush that has been sanctified to the job of cleaning my teeth. It is my toothbrush. I don't want my children taking my toothbrush and cleaning the dog's teeth. I don't want them cleaning their own teeth with my toothbrush. It is my toothbrush. It is sanctified to these teeth. And at least twice a day, and sometimes more, we get together. And this toothbrush is sanctified, set apart to Paul Reese's teeth. And in a daily, regular way, it is engaged in the work of cleaning my teeth. Getting rid of the foods, cleaning away the little bacteria that want to secrete their acid into my teeth and make holes and ruin my gums. So I brush. Because I've seen under a microscope what's on your teeth. And when you see that, you start brushing. Right? Sanctifying. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a glorious thing. God has chosen to set us apart to, be, to belong to him. If you're trusting Christ today, know this. God has set you apart to belong to him. You live for him. You belong to him. He cares for you. You're special to him. 
And, and sanctification is not just that sense of being set apart, but also the Spirit uh, who, who, who seals you, comes into your life, who opens your heart to the gospel, who, um, using the language of Titus, uh, washes you, renews you through rebirth, through the Holy Spirit, it says in Titus, who comes in your life. This Holy Spirit is at work setting you apart to God and also daily helping you become more like Jesus. Daily helping you to put away the, the sin that actually ends up spoiling, hurting, and harming you, freeing you from that to, to, uh, to grow in Christ-likeness. And, and here's the wonderful thing, that God has chosen to do this work. He, he has chosen to make us holy through his Holy Spirit. He's chosen to do this for you. He's committed to it. You are set apart for him. You may come kicking or screaming at times, but this is the work that he's doing in us to make us more like Jesus. He's given us his spirit that we be like this. The third comfort of God's election there is, uh, is, 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 in a sense, a description, really, of how do you know what a Christian looks like. To God's elect, chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. God's great plan of salvation makes us strangers in this world, but means that we belong to his family. We're looking forward to the coming kingdom that is to come. He is set us apart by his spirit, and his spirit is at work to do what? To help us grow in obedience to Jesus Christ. How do I know when I'm dealing with a Christian? Well, do I find here's a person who's got a care and a concern to find out what Jesus says and to do what Jesus says. That is the mark of a Christian, isn't it? Um, they'll know you're my disciples if you keep my commandments, Jesus says. Uh, this is the, really the, the true mark of saving faith, that here is someone day by day, a pilgrim following in the footsteps of Christ, wanting to be obedient to God's word, heading on that journey waiting for his glorious appearing. That is a Christian. And you know what I love about this verse is it's full of biblical realism. This is true for the Christian, but let's be real, it's only true in part, isn't it? We know that we fall well short of obeying Jesus as we ought. We know that we do struggle to keep all his word. But look, he's made full provision here. Do you notice that? We, we, he has, we has uh, chosen us for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. We're going to come to the table in a moment. And we're going to take bread and we're going to take uh, fruit juice to symbolize the blood of Jesus, to symbolize the body of Jesus. And these are reminders to us that that once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross continually forgives our sins. That we're forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. Even as we know that the Christian life is one about obedience to Jesus, we do so in complete dependence upon the grace of the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness that we receive through the sprinkling of his blood. It was quite a ceremony that we read in Exodus 24, wasn't it, when the covenant was confirmed? Uh, an animal sacrifice, blood uh, poured at the altar, and then uh, Moses reads from the book of the law, and all the people said, yes, we're going to do the whole thing. And then he throws blood all over them. That would be a day you'd remember, wouldn't it? 
Why the blood? Because at the very outset, it was blatantly obvious that these people could not keep the commandments. They would only be able to do it in dependence upon sacrifice. And all those animal sacrifices ultimately didn't really deal with sin. They were all pointing forward to that one day, 2,000 years ago, where Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, died upon the cross and his blood was poured out for us. And it is a daily dependence. Well, a daily commitment to following Christ and a daily dependence upon the blood of Christ that marks out a true Christian. Yes, we will fail as Christians. But here's the encouragement. God has chosen that we would obey Jesus and depend upon his blood and keep following Jesus. He's made full provision for, here, for you here. And that's what we're going to come and remember in a moment. Are you an elect stranger? Are you a chosen alien? Well, let me ask you this question. Are you at home in this society? <laughs> Does it feel like you fit in completely? Well, I would caution you that if that is the case, then that's probably an indication that you are a foreigner to God. And uh, we're going to learn as we go through this letter that it describes uh, this way of life as the empty way of life. This is such an empty life apart from God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you feel at home in this world, then that means you're a foreigner to God. You're a stranger from God. And know that this world is just passing away. It's pointless without Him. And I, I would urge you to, to come to know Jesus. Come, come and read His Word. Come to the Glad You Ask course. Come and investigate. Come to that place where you can put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus. We can feel like strangers in the world when you become a Christian. But here's a wonderful thing to remember. We're chosen by God. It's all of grace. Nothing that we can boast about. It's not that it's something precious that you know, we are done or achieved. But here's a joyful thing. We are chosen by God to belong to his family. We call him Father. He, he, he knows all the circumstances we're going through. He's ordaining a plan and a purpose to his glory and for our good. And we can trust him in the trials of our lives. We're going to find out as we look next week that these very trials he uses to purify us and to shape us for his glory. He's given us his spirit. He's sent his son, our savior, that we may follow in his footsteps in dependence upon his blood. What a joy to be a Christian. What a privilege. Yes, the world says you're weird. But God the Father says, you're welcome. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. In abundance. Grace and peace. If we really get this, that's what we'll, we'll, we'll feel. Peace be ours in abundance let's pray